0: This is a special edition of Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We're going to be covering some of the developments coming out of yesterday's tragic bombing in Boston, Massachusetts during the Boston Marathon. Joining me on this special edition is, uh, to my left, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing Washington's uh, second congressional district. Al Swift. To my 12 o'clock, he is the former floor chair and former vice president of government affairs for the National Broadcasting Corporation, Bob Hines. To my right, he is the distinguished fellow from the Simpson Center, former Undersecretary of Commerce, Alan Moore. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell, and let's get right to it, guys. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us, I mean, it has been the Top of the news going forward for a long time right now. Uh, Yesterday at about 2.45, uh, at the finish line of the Boston Marathon, which is uh, happening just about every year, same day, a beautiful day in in downtown Boston, uh, two explosions occurred at the finish line there in Copley Plaza. Uh, Last count, there are three dead. 170 plus injured, many seriously or critically. Uh, the White House today called it without a question an act of terrorism. Uh, the Joint Terrorism Task Force is deeply involved in this. The uh, the the at the last statement we've gotten from Public Safety up in Boston, the FBI has in fact federalized and taken over the investigation relating to this, what the Boston Globe is calling a perfect day that went viscerally evil. Uh, of the of the three deceased, one was an eight-year-old child, an eight-year-old boy from Dorchester. Uh, he uh, was there uh, waiting, he was there waiting for his dad to cross the finish line. Uh, his family are all injured, his father, his mother, and his sister are all injured, and it is just a, a horrific scene there in Boston. I, I I cannot tell you how much our thoughts and our prayers go out to uh, the, the families of those who who, who passed, those who were uh, directly affected, uh, it, it, that are injured, and, and to the whole Boston community. Um, it is... Uh, it is definitely an act of terrorism. Uh, various officials are now reporting and various sources are now reporting that they believe the, the detonations occurred through devices that were, they cannot confirm, but they believe it was based off of a timer attached to a pressure cooker utilizing ball bearings. Um, this has gotten worldwide attention. And it is just a tragic, another tragic, tragic, cowardly act of terrorism. It's the only way one can call it. So we're going to be spending uh, the next hour talking about, uh, you know, just our thoughts. Uh, joining us here in a few minutes is uh, Professor uh, Richard Coiters. Uh, Professor Coiters, he is the, a retired uh, police lieutenant uh, from New Jersey. He is now the... Uh, Dean and the Chair of the Department of Criminal Justice and Homeland Security at Bergen Community College. He's going to be joining us shortly to give us his thoughts. Uh, let, let's just talk about the events that, that as they unfolded. And I, I can tell you, I was sitting here in Shelly's, uh, as I do most days, as everybody would know. Um, and you know, we see that initial. There's been an explosion, and you don't want to think that. But Bob Hines, let me start with you. It almost seems like any time we hear that there's a large gathering and there's an explosion, our minds have just been so ramped up, we immediately think, oh, no, we've been hit again. Is that accurate? I mean, is that is that
1: what you think? I think it is true. Uh, by, by we've been hit again, it's not necessarily we feel that it's, it's obviously uh, a foreign powers effort but it could be, you know, uh, lunatics in America who are crazy about some, some issue or another or want to, you know, make their case. But it seems that uh, we're, we're having an... We seem to have an awful lot of these things happening, and, I, you know, it isn't like they're every day, but, my goodness, we've had several major colleges recently. You know, people been shot. The, the Newtown, you uh, just just a month ago, uh, here we are in Boston at the... Uh, you know, Patriots Day is a is a holiday in Boston. It's been that way for years. It's always the third Sunday in April. Pardon I me, mean Monday in April, and it's the day of the Boston Marathon, which I think is probably one of the most well-known sporting events, uh, racing in the racing world. Uh, and here we are at the at the at the right near the finish line. These two bombs go off as, as the uh, as the contestants are coming across the finish line. Uh, Alan
0: Moore, where were you when you started getting news reports that this was coming in? Uh,
2: I was home, like many people, yesterday on April fifteenth, uh, finishing up my taxes, being a procrastinator. Um, but, uh, but 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 uh, I, I got a notice about it, and uh, I think the first notice was two different bombs. When I then watched on television, there were these these strange echoes of 9-11 that are so powerful in most of our memories. A beautiful day, one event that confused us and made us wonder what in the heck could have happened, and then a second event that says and confirms the worst suspicions of, oh, my God, this is an attack. And I think yesterday at Boston, the first explosion again was was one of those things like what what in the heck was this a was this a gas main was this a gas explosion but then literally within within seconds uh, uh a block away a second explosion and that again just confirmed the notion that this was intentional this was aimed at innocent civilians um this is uh uh clearly an act of terror as bob said we don't know from where and uh, and and we we all want to know. On the one hand, on the other hand, even if it turns out if it turns out to be domestic, foreign, some combination, it's still a horrible, dreadful reminder that um, we're not as safe as we used to be. There are people who will kill and kill randomly, and uh, when there's a crowd, watch out.
0: Yeah, Congressman Alley, I mean, you've served in Congress for eight terms. You. Been around Capitol Hill, you, you've been in the media. Uh, from your media experience, does it get any easier? I mean, I, I mean, are we becoming almost hardened and jaded over this, or does this still strike in everybody? Especially somebody who's been around both government and media like you, is it just strikes you every time?
3: It, it, it certainly did me, and I think most members of Congress for the media. I, 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 for most media yes it does feel that way I think there are some media that become so hard and cynical over time that uh, that they uh, may not have that reaction but when when you're killing children and when you're you know doing innocent things when you're doing things to innocent people yes I think almost everybody thinks about it but let me let, let me just point out something else that we should keep in mind according to some of the things that I read in the paper this also shows how many things we have headed off with our security now I don't think anybody believed we would head off a hundred percent of them this is one that slipped through there will be an investigation they will find out why it slipped through, unless it was gross uh, Incompetence. Uh, I think they shouldn't be too hard on whoever did it. Uh, you know, find out why it slipped through and plug that hole. Uh, but it, it does remind you that you could be hearing about this if you lived in Israel uh, every other day, certainly every other week.
0: Well, you look at London during the IRA bombings. Bob and I were talking about that earlier. That was almost a weekly occurrence. Exactly,
3: and and so there there is a there is a. I hate to call it a bright side. There is a positive way of looking at this very negative occurrence.
0: But, but Bob, I I mean, you know, we'd always, we'd always for for a majority of our existence here in America and, and never had to live in that daily, you know, is this the day they hit us again mentality. And, you know, we had Oklahoma City. We had uh, you know, even Virginia Tech and and in and, and Newtown. Um uh, September eleventh obviously changed that for us, but it doesn't get any easier for it, does it?
1: No, it doesn't get any easier. And every time something like this happens, uh, you just say, My God, you know, what are these people doing? Now it it we don't know yet and uh what is the uh is the background of the individuals who are involved in this? We don't know whether it was um, some uh, local, you know, local group, dem- domestic organization, or a bunch of people, or some with or some uh, foreign support. But uh, as you and I were talking earlier, and I think you made a very good point uh, before the program went on, uh, that it looks like it's just one of those domestic situations where somebody was mad about something it, it, well it looks it, like it wasn't a, it doesn't appear to have been uh, orchestrated by some foreign power trying to uh damage america we're we're, yes.
0: we're, we're getting that indication from a lot of yeah. experts and obviously we're going to have our our own expert on here uh very shortly but when you know when we i mean looking at the periphery i mean myself being involved in public safety and emergency management for decades you know, you look at it, I mean, this does have the telltale signs, if you will, of being homegrown. It wasn't a high impact explosive. It was used in, you know, using almost household goods that you get at a true value. But, you know, we'll get into that in a second. One of the things I do want to point out is that um, several media sources were reporting uh, as early as yesterday evening that a uh, Saudi had been under guard at Mass General Hospital, that uh, that sou- that individual has since been deemed as just a spectator. He is not a person of interest. As of right now, according to uh, uh, police sources in Boston, there is no quote-unquote suspect that they either know about or are ready to go public with. Um, but, you know, when you look at the stories of, everything that happened yesterday, the one story that just that just kills me. And, and this one kind of hits home to me because, you know, growing up as a kid, I grew up in Boston. I grew up just outside of Boston. But Boston's where we went to go see big events like the Marathon, like the Red Sox games at Fenway, like going to Symphony Hall. And this kind of strikes home. And, and Patriots Day was always a really cool day for everybody in Massachusetts. It was our day. It was a day off. It was a day you spend with family and friends, go out, you know, usually great weather and to see this happen to have a a really great day like Patriots day. And from all accounts, it was a perfect day. It was nice. It was crisp. It was cool, sunny. It was a perfect day for the marathon, perfect day for Patriots day. And as, as Kevin Cullen, the, uh, uh, columnist for the uh, Boston Globe put it, it was a perfect day that literally went viscerally evil and, This one really strikes hard at me. But the big story that's coming out of this is uh, the eight-year-old boy, uh, Darren Martin, who was killed uh, waiting after, literally just after hugging his father as he, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Martin Richard. The Richard family was all in the sidelines waiting for the father to finish. He had just gotten done hugging his dad when the explosion went off. The Richard family, all four, uh, one death, Martin Richard, the eight-year-old boy. His sister, his 12-year-old sister, was seriously injured. Their mother also seriously injured. The father the same. And you just see the impact, and that story just tugs at you. And now you go back into, and I'll go to you, Alan Moore. You you know, when, when you see stories like that, it almost makes you want, it, it makes you want justice, but it, it it almost brings out a vigilante feeling in you, that you want to go out and find this guy and string him up and hang him. Uh, it, it always seems that America almost goes, almost knee-jerk reaction to a lot of this stuff. Is this going to spark a knee-jerk reaction into a lot of Americans, if not the American government? Well, I,
2: we need to know more about who did it. If, if it turned out, for example, that it was a terror... A, a, a terrorist who was not homegrown, but had, was, but, but I mean, you, you hate to even speculate here, but a, a, a person of a of a particular ethnic group, whether they're homegrown or not homegrown, but some 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 type of person that people might then be able to turn their attention to and be suspicious of everybody of that same ethnic group. I mean, there's always some chance of that, but but you know, this doesn't. You know, I, I don't I am not about to speculate on whether it's domestic or international because I think we're just gonna to have to wait and see right. on, on that. But 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 there's also a question of how many people were involved. Was it one? Was it two? Um and and Was it a vast conspiracy? All of these things can can feed into it. But I but I think the bigger it, I, I don't worry so much about Vigilantism unless it turned out there was a group of twenty people of a certain type and a certain look, and then it would be oh my gosh what what I worry about is 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 something I worried about back in, in the days of nine eleven when when here in Washington we were under attack and we we took a look and we've talked about it on this show before that we thought life will never be quite the same in America in a lot of ways it's not just go to the airport, try to get on an airplane. But this is a different kind of a, This is another kind of a case that reminds us of our vulnerability. Boston Marathon, in Boston, there are an estimated half a million people scattered all over the streets, and they're not just from Boston. They're from all over the country. Many people know that in order to qualify to run in the marathon, you have to achieve a certain time in another marathon. I've had two different stepdaughters who, at different times, have run in the Boston Marathon. Really. And people go there to watch. They go there to run. They want to do it once if they're marathoners. They family members go. They cheer them on. It's a it's an exciting uh, national, even international event that draws all these that draws all these people. And then you see this kind of event and you sense the vulnerability. And I'm thinking that could have four hours and ten minutes in. That's a decent time. And and that's a time not that far away from what either of my two stepdaughters ran. So you're kind of projecting yourself into what if it was them? What if it was us who were who were standing there? Uh, it, it, and, and it and it frightens you away from potentially from future events. You you think twice. I just came over here on the metro, and it might have been my imagination. But I'm thinking. I think people are standing a little farther back from the platform today than they
0: normally do, because who knows what sort of craziness is out there? Well, you know, you know. Yes, I mean, yesterday, right after the blast, I mean, New York City upped its police presence. They had police officers lining Times Square. Uh, The federal, same thing here in Washington. U.S. Secret Service, U.S. Secret Service, and uh, U.S. Park Police cordoned off the White House. Uh, They increased security presence at Capitol Hill through Capitol Police. Um, Even today, we saw wolf packs of Metro Police officers in tactical gear ready to go. Uh, There's a definite increased presence of security here in Washington, uh, in New York. Uh, Governor Duvall Patrick yesterday said Boston is not business as usual today, and I would venture to say it'll probably be a couple of days. Before we see business as usual in Boston, um, for now, you know, this obviously sparks up a, a national, uh, you, you know, a, a national almost coming together a little bit. Uh, we're seeing members of Congress on both sides uh, coming together in support of not only whatever you need from the federal government, whether it's criminal justice expertise, emergency management expertise, um, just. Moral support they're all coming in uh, you know it, it, we we just wish that that same camaraderie would be there all the time, but this one we put partisanship aside. Why is that?
3: I think it's natural uh, a lot of the partisanship is because people are playing the us versus them game in this instance we're all us and uh and so I made. I might think of you as them in some other context, but in a context like this, we're all us. So I think it draws us together. I think that's a good thing. There's another thing that tends to occur with these, and that is people seeking revenge. And the reason that that is so dangerous is that that is probably, we don't know this, but probably, whether it was international or domestic. Probably the crazy person who did this was in his own mind seeking revenge for something that that emotional reaction of seeking revenge is very very dangerous and I think we should stick with the togetherness uh and let the officials sort this out and not get too uh hot headed well it. we
0: we saw in um you know we we saw yesterday in in several media reports uh that we had uh Going through the media, we had um, the same day on the same day it was uh, Oklahoma City as it was the same day that was spurred by wake up um, there's a almost uh, timeline here they like Patriots Day. Patriots Day is there to celebrate uh, how the how the American revolutionaries fought off the British on the march to Concord and Lexington. Um, they use this. Several organizations use this as a big day as we'll create our own shot herd around the world. Um, but, you know, I posted yesterday, and the funny thing about it is, you know, watching Mayor Tommy Menino, uh, the outgoing mayor of Boston, uh, 20-year mayor, great guy. Uh, Tommy Manino in his wheelchair, after breaking his leg, got up there and said, basically, Boston is a resilient town. I posted yesterday. You know, if I'm the guy who did this, the last place I want to be is in Boston. These are people that take their town very seriously. I mean, you know that the Irish in the south, in the south side of Boston, the Italians out in the north end, you've got uh, the ethnic community spread out through Dorchester, Revere, and those areas. That is a tough, tough crowd and they are going to be looking for blood on this, I think. Bob Hines, you know, how does one get their arms wrapped around the fact, how do you say, we got to let the criminal justice system work, but at the same time, you know, we want
1: blood. How do you balance that? I I don't know that you really have to balance it. I mean, the the, the system will work and we can all be as, as in our own little way, we can be as angry at her, angry and as willing to tear the guy limb from limb, we're really not gonna do it, but we can all feel that way and, and a lot of people do. I'm sure that there are people in Boston who've given the chance would take a baseball bat to him and just knock his head off. Yeah. But you know, but you know the, the system will work and we'll find we'll find the people who did it and they will they will the justice system, the justice system will take care of them. Alan Moore.
2: But, yeah, again if we find the person I think we'll have uh, a reasonable amount of confidence in the system. That isn't to say there aren't people that would that would happily uh, uh, do that person harm. What I think we have to be careful about is uh, is any kind of a rush to judgment. And it just so happens that tonight on on PBS um, there is going to be a uh, a show, a TV uh, documentary made by the famous Ken Burns about what's the movie is called the central park five, five teenagers, 14 and 15
4: who
5: were
2: gathered up after the 1989 case of the jogger who was beaten, left for dead and raped in central park, the central park jogger case that changed uh, at that time, the way people felt about central park and how safe it was. And they arrested these five boys and uh, didn't give them attorneys. Um, Kept them separate and were interrogating them intensively for about 30 hours. Uh, There was no physical evidence that implicated them in in the the events. Um, The boys were told that other guys were telling on them. They all kind of confessed in odd and inconsistent ways. And they were sentenced to, uh, they were totally demonized and sentenced to between 7 and 13 years. They served all those terms. And then about, the, uh, about 13, 14, 15 years later, they found a, a serial rapist who confessed that he had done it. And sure enough, DNA evidence from back at the time was linked to this new guy. So I, 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 it's just curious that tonight happens to be the night that they're going to show that, and I've seen some of the promotions about it. Um, but this reminder of the dangers of rushing to judgment, even if they apprehend someone. I mean, when we all heard that there was a, 20-year-old Saudi who was acting strange, burned, running from the scene. They went to his place, and now they've, they've, they've concluded that he was just there to see the race. Um, and and uh, so it's one thing to, to, to talk about exacting justice. It's another thing to figure out to whom and we want to exact, exact that justice upon and to be sure, A, that we're right, and then be to have
3: some confidence in the system. Well, Al, I want to give you the last word. I, I, j- I just want to repeat what I said before. These are crazy people, and you don't solve the problem by acting like a crazy person yourself. Yes, I think people feel that they would like to go have something to hit, but I think that's uh, an, an inappropriate response to a crazy,
1: violent act.
3: Right. Bob lines,
1: one quick thought. This young Saudi was running away. Now he's a Saudi and he's running away. Maybe he should have been a person of interest until he was clear. But think about it in a minute. How many other people were running away? Exactly. I bet there were thousands running away, scared to death. of What was going on? Yeah. You know, and we have to be very careful in times like that. Just because he he didn't look like me doesn't mean there's he's any more guilty than I was. Good point. Uh, or Alan Moore, one last point.
2: Yeah, one, one follow-up to, to what Al was saying, that, that, that uh, this is the, the, the act of a crazy person. And we've talked about this on, on, on other occasions about what, what motivates people and what constitutes crazy. But as Al, Al was talking about the desire to retaliate, it's entirely possible that the crazy person who did this was in fact seriously, furiously angry about some wrong to him, his family, his people, his sense of right and wrong, or imagined. And, and it could be imagined, it could be real, it's probably some twisted combination, and, uh, and if the desire is to get even, it certainly is disruptive, or if the idea is simply to wreck havoc across America to make people frightened and spend money and divert resources to public safety and so on. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that can motivate terrorists. And until we actually can catch somebody and tease it out of them, uh, we can only speculate.
0: Well, we're going to let that be the last word. When we come back, we're going to have uh, uh professor Richard Coiters who's uh, the chair of the Colonel justice department up at Bergen community college, retired police Lieutenant, uh, from New Jersey and uh, Homeland Security and, and law enforcement expert. He'll be joining us. We're going to ask him the hard questions about yesterday. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelly's Backroom 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in four minutes. Stay with us. You know, here on Backroom Politics you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour, the second hour of Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelly's Backroom. Thirteen Thirty One F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington D.C. Backroom Politics' premier sponsor. Hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelley's Backroom that really know how to pour a drink. Whether it's something simple like my on-air Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or whether it's something elaborate like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Twift. Wine selection, scotch selection, that will blow your mind. They've got Highland scotches, they've got Isla sky scotches, blended, single malt, anything you want. Port wines to go with that great cigar from the great humidor. Down here at Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Come on down, have a drink, and make some new friends. Or, heck, just come on down and listen to Backroom Politics on Tuesdays. And and we're back here live at Shelly's back room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., experiencing a little bit of technical difficulty here with the uh, laptop, but we're going to continue on anyway. Joining us right now, though, is uh, is, uh, Professor Richard Coiters. Uh, He is the chairman of the uh, Criminal Justice Department at Bergen Community College. He is also a retired police lieutenant. From the great city of Paramus, New Jersey, uh, Professor Coiters, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolutely, uh, Professor. Quick question: There is um, when we look at uh, when we look at you know what happened yesterday in Boston. Obviously, tragic, tragic event. Uh, but what we what we want to do is look at um, you know there, there's always that 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 point where we say you know how do we get our arms wrapped about it from a law enforcement as a former uh, police officer how do you get your arms wrapped around this uh, and, and, and it's got to be tough for a police officer to deal with this
5: uh, one of the things you learned through is you have to deal with it you are a first responder and you have to have that first responder mentality we go where people don't want to go they're trying to leave so what you have had there was a lot of dedicated police officers, ambulance crew workers, firemen, and uh, health professionals waiting at the finish line all ready to help people. And that's one of the positive uh, collaborations that came out. They were right there to triage people on the spot. It probably saved a lot of lives.
0: And I mean, the response, I mean, literally, the response was immediate. There were a ton of public safety officials. Fire, EMS, police—all in that area—did not skip a beat running in there. No. That, that's part of your training. That's, that's part of, part of your nature. Um, when, That's
5: when, the mental mental set of the police officer, the fireman, is to run into harm. So well,
0: right? let, let's look at this from 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 the grand level. Uh, when you, when you when you saw when you, when you see everything coming out in the media, and you're seeing the reports coming out of uh, the FBI. Uh, the, J, the JTTF, which right. is the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit. We keep hearing about this JTTF. What is the JTTF in, in, in total? Local,
5: state, and federal law enforcement agencies and people assigned to terrorism. Okay. Investigated it before it happens.
0: Is there an intelligence component to it?
5: Absolutely. They work together. This is a multi-level law enforcement uh, initiative
0: to stifle terrorism. Now, when we, we've been hearing out of Boston that there were
4: a
5: lot
0: of, um, you know, a, a lot of people involved in the, in the uh, JTF that were saying we had no credible, uh, we had no credible chatter. There was no credible threat. Leading up to yesterday's explosion, does that surprise you? No. Why?
5: Because there are many areas and levels of security. One of the things that uh, that you have to work with is intelligence gathering, having feet on the ground, and it's a it is hard in a free society, in an open society that we have in America, to. Perpetrate a intrusion into some of these cells that are out there, anti-American, whether they're uh, domestic or international. This is against us all, and I think it's a rally for us to uh, get together and stop being complacent.
0: Now, when you, when you first heard when you when you first heard the uh, the stories coming out of Boston, immediate thoughts: international, domestic. What, what goes through somebody like yours uh,
5: Terrorism. Just terrorism. It could be. It could be either. Either or. It's still terrorism. And it's one. It's in, man's inhumanity to man. And uh, once we find out the political end of it, we'll start gathering that more intelligence. I think what we have right now is there are feet on the ground. I think there's a coordinated effort on the federal, state, and local effort, uh, efforts to ensure that we will. Take these
0: people to justice. When we, when we look at the investigation into, in, into this tragedy, it's hard to separate uh, the, the visual of seeing all those people hurt and then keeping that investigative mindset. How do you separate that? Uh, police officers, uh, first-aid
5: responders have to live with that. That's part of our job. It's part of our nature. Everyone deals with it differently when they go home, when they're But when you first get to that scene, you cannot show that in, your insides are really upset at what's going on because people look to you for control. What do we have to do? You have to be able to take control of the situation, look at the problem, identify what you have to do, triage the situation, and then move forward for the safety of the people.
0: When, uh, now, in an investigation like this, um, we we see you know we watch TV we see CSI we see Law and Order we see Blue Bloods we see all these cop shows and it's just wrapped to us in a night type package. How difficult is this investigation for the investigative team up in Boston? I
5: think with all the collaboration going on, I think that uh, it will come very quickly to justice.
0: Is it is it something that the people of Boston uh, and the American people can expect in months? Is it something we can see an arrest here in the next 48 hours? I think the feet on the ground are working as quickly as they can.
5: But this is a justice system. We have to work within the parameters of the law, and they are doing that
0: right now. When uh this I was talking earlier with, uh, with with a friend of mine, and he, we were talking about God. You look at a crime scene like this. He said, "How do they get the evidence?" I said, "It's just the world's largest jigsaw puzzle at this point." Is that an accurate statement? It is a jigsaw puzzle, and you have many
5: professionals who are signed up there right now, putting those little pieces together to tell the story and to bring that evidence-based prosecution into hand. It's a, now,
0: we've seen the lead in the Joint Command up in Boston. The special agent in charge in Boston of the FBI has now taken over the investigation and the response. Is that normal in this type of situation?
5: Their agency is designed to, and Congress approved that they be the lead agency in terrorism. So, yes, it's designed that
0: way. Now, how does, even, you know, we've seen law enforcement over these turf battles. You know, obviously Boston PD is going to be very much, look, this is a crime that happened against our people, our city. This should be our investigation. Let us run it. You guys in the FBI just, you know, we'll feed you whatever we get. Uh, State troopers in Massachusetts, very turf oriented. Um, There, I'm sure, as the lead law enforcement agency in Massachusetts, want to be, the lead on this is this something that everybody's come to grips with it, it's not a matter of turf war anymore
5: it isn't Past, after nine eleven, the turf war was ended it was ended we have to work together and it's the only way by collaboration working together sharing that information that we can bring these people the offenders to justice
0: congressman now that,
3: that raises a, a question that's a little off center on this but I've always been interested in how the FBI is portrayed in movies, television shows, and whatever. They always seem to be a little arrogant, a little stupid, uh, treating local law enforcement very, very badly. Is there is there any truth to to that at all, or is it just they like to pick on the FBI?
5: The clock changed after nine eleven. They are very interactive with the com- uh, community. They are very interactive with the local law enforcement. There is updates all the time. There are joint task force on burglaries. There are joint task force on all the major crimes. And they really know that the roots to solving the problem is society. We have a lot of information and intelligence gathering that comes out of society. And in order for that to be transferred, law enforcement agencies can't fight those turf wars anymore. It's
2: better if you collaborate. Alan Moore. Well, it, it, it strikes me as what, what you're saying, and it makes some sense here, too, is that, that there used to be room to fight. Yeah. There's no room to fight anymore. No. The FBI gets called in when it's an act of terrorism, and even though the president yesterday was super cautious, didn't use the word terror, and, and, and I respect that he was being ultra-cautious, but meanwhile, the FBI is coming in and taking over. And uh, today the president was talking again about about an, an act of terror, which which of course it was. In right. That, in that it was two events closely coordinated, deaths involved. There were just element and 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 random targets. Right. Um, so one can argue, one can debate over what it is to, what terrorism means, but there was no debate among the, the law enforcement people, and I would guess that the locals, who are now. More accustomed to working together are sort of glad that 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 a, that a group recognized uh, to, uh, having a lot of expertise and hopefully willing to share information and collaborate truly um, everybody knows that's the deal and that's what they do and i while you were while you were talking about the, the about law enforcement and first responders, I think that we were also all fascinated by the the role that a lot of volunteers played some some ran. I, I, well, none of us know what we would do because the whole notion was, oh, my God, two bombs, let's get out of here. And they weren't first responders. And some stayed and thought, how can I help? What can I do? And, uh, and a shout-out to, to many of them, too. Yeah, and and no criticism for me of those who who were just scared and ran. They weren't trained to stay. But
0: those who weren't trained to stay and did stay, wow. Yeah, I mean, Professor Carter, we we see this a lot. Uh, you know, the goodness of people when when the time really comes to it. Um, that that's got to be reassuring to the guys who do this every day. Absolutely, but
5: one one thing about volunteers is they can't just gather right at the scene. What they have to do is be educated on how to volunteer and how to work with the community. And there are different education programs on the state, the local level that will ensure that volunteers, number one, are needed, especially at these mass scenes, and number two, they're educated on what they can do to help. Right.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the investigation.
3: You know, can Oh no, no, absolutely, yeah, Congressman Allen. Question before we go there. You, you made a, a brief reference to when the police. And other first responders go home. Yes, they're trained to do certain things in the event, and then they got to go home. What is the impact on them as as individuals when they go home?
5: I think that uh, in my 30 years of service in the police department, I saw many mechanisms of escape. Uh, some are terrible. Some destroy families because we are we keep it in ourselves, and some is physical. A lot of people, a lot of police officers have the heart attacks because you keep all that stress, the outside stresses of the job, inside,
0: yeah.
5: and it manifests itself in other ways. Right. That's, That's not
0: detrimental to health. That's got to be tough. Let's talk about the investigation for a little bit here, because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, armchair quarterbacks are going to armchair quarterback this all day long. But, you know, 30 years on the the job, uh, now professor of criminal justice uh, at a college in New Jersey. When you look at this, does this have the telltale signs of homegrown domestic terrorism, or does this have the signs of, Possible foreign involvement. What's your immediate reaction? As an
5: investigator, the bottom line is, see the evidence. Right. It's terrorism. I'm not going to pick either side because we know what the domestic terrorists can do. Oklahoma City. We know what international terrorism can do. New York City. Right. Here in Washington. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to look at that evidence and then to be objective, officers can't go in there and be biased. That it is not domestic; it's it's international. You can't do that. You have to have that open mind to collect the data that's needed to make a deductive decision. After all these pieces are put together, that we were talking. About.
0: When when we when we talk about the, the pieces being put together, uh, we've already heard word that they are. Obviously, gaining all the video footage, they are asking any anybody with any footage of the in, of the scene prior to and during the explosions to obviously uh, provide that information to law enforcement authorities in Boston. Um, but we've also heard that they are subpoenaing uh, cell phone records and cell phone tower coverage. Um, when you look at something like this, and you look at something like the Patriot Act. We have many on either side say it's an infringement on our personal rights, but we have others saying, look, unless we want to be a focal point of terrorism. Is is there, does the Patriot Act actually provide solid tools for law enforcement to bring people like this to justice? Uh,
5: I'm personally biased. I think it does. I think they gave us tools where uh, we can follow that chain of evidence instead of making a search warrant for the same individual when they go from one phone to another phone to another phone and keep on getting these different phones that you can throw away. I think it makes a big difference there. I think that uh, the intrusion that law enforcement makes on the private sector because of the changes in 9-11, from 9-11, it's for the better for society. It's all about... Crime control and due process—that's what it's called. If due process is the rights of the individual, crime control is the rights of society, and there is a little bridge in there where it covers everything. And we have in in, in law enforcement have to make sure that the rights of the individual
0: are upheld. Right, and that's got to be a tough balance, though. You know, because you are seeking justice, but you know we see again. Movies and TV shows where they bring them to justice at whatever cost it takes. Uh, how, how do you balance that? Uh,
5: you, well, you, you do the best you can as an officer to bring justice. And it is justice. If someone is, is uh, found guilty of a crime, and you did your proper work, you did it within the way... The, the uh, framework of the law. You did your best as an officer. That's what you're supposed to do,
3: ethically. Um,
4: well,
0: Congressman Allen,
3: as, as you pointed out, the the uh, Eastern type of person who who was seen running, <clears throat> and he, he didn't look like all the rest of us. And you can make a case that that's yeah. the reason he was picked on. But that, but, but it was probably appropriate that he be followed up. Yeah. The fact that he was quickly absolved of any involvement and released indicates that somebody was also being concerned
1: about his well we
0: have we have one official coming out of out of Boston saying you just happened to be at the wrong place yeah, at the wrong and time and
1: it shows you that the system that has been developed works absolutely
0: is is, is that a message you know when, when you talk to uh, civil libertarians that that that's a message that gets lost on them a lot uh, in some instances you know there are there are some would say well you know because of 9-11 maybe he was racially profiled um, how do you separate that that historical memory of 9-11 versus what you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis enforcing all laws to all Americans and those inside our borders.
5: I think what developed after 9-11 was the different trainings that police officers go through now in the basic police academy and in-service training. And one of them is cultural sensitivity. And if, if, to make that officer whole, to understand the problems, they have to be
0: culturally sensitive.
5: And you can't jump to the conclusions.
0: Because you're showing biases. Did, did well, the joint did the joint task force handle the uh, the Saudi spectator the correct way? Do you I think? I do not know. Okay. Uh-huh. Know. Well, it
5: seems to me that okay. they handle it exactly right. I think that together they would they would have. I'm sorry.
1: No, I, I they, think they it was a collaboration. Yeah,
5: they okay. did the right
1: thing. They took Absolutely. a look. Absolutely. They they took a look at his apartment. There was no indication or anything. Right. They looked at the situation and said, "This guy's clean." Good. Alan Moore.
2: Just like we don't know who did it, I don't think we know enough yet to know whether they handled that properly. Here was thousands of people running, right, hundreds running from right where the bomb was, where this guy apparently was right, and he was picked out, pulled aside, questioned, they went to his apartment. Now, it sounds to me like there was some profiling there i don't I'm not accusing them of doing anything wrong, but I'm certainly not ready to embrace the notion that they did everything right because. He was one of many who was running, and, and uh, he was injured himself, apparently. So I, I'm not being critical of the police. I'm just not ready to say, oh, yeah, they did everything just right, because it only took them a day. Meanwhile, everybody's wondering, have they got him? Have they got him? They knew where his apartment was up in, uh, up in Revere right. and all of that.
0: We do. It, Squares, how, how, how do
5: you respond to that? I think it's a product of the global media. We're different today. We are in Boston right now. You go to any TV set, we're in Boston right now. The bottom line here is when you look at the, now you have this joint task force up there investigating this, that umbrella will embrace any investigator to work with another partner. So I'm sure that we have partners, state, local, and federal going out doing these investigations together. Nothing slips between them.
0: So the top investigator is working on this, too. And and that, in in almost some sense, it brings, you know, the emotion of the locals that are there. You know, we're going to find him. That guy did it. Bringing in the outside investigative as part of the investigative community kind of helps put in a balance?
5: No, I don't think it's a balance. I think you have the best of the best up there, working together in collaboration, all on the same page because they've trained together right they understand what needs to be done
0: okay very good um to do orders well um, uh, <laughs> Professor quarters uh, again really appreciate you doing that professor Richard quarters uh, the chair of the criminal justice department up at Bergen Community College retired police lieutenant uh, LT thanks a lot for joining us I want thank, thank you, you too. I yeah mean, we all yeah. want to thank you yeah, yeah. very, very thank you. we really thank. do uh, come join us again, please. Love to. Love to. Have Love you. to. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, uh, we're going to get back to uh, dare I say politics as usual. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, the gun bill, the gun deal that was, but maybe not. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, here on Backroom Politics, you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour. The second hour of Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Backroom Politics Premier Sponsor. Hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelley's Back Room that really know how to pour a drink. Whether it's something simple like my on-air, Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or where well, something elaborate, like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Swift. Wine selection, scotch selection, that will blow your mind. They've got Highland scotches, they've got Isla sky scotches, blended single malts, anything you want. Port Wines to go with that great cigar from the great humidor. Down here at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., Come on down, have a drink, and make some new friends. Or heck, just come on down and listen to Backroom
3: Politics on Tuesdays.
0: 1331 Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, we're continuing to monitor the uh, situation up in Boston, but uh, we obviously want to take some time and talk about the uh, politics as usual going on here in Washington, D.C. Uh, last week, uh, in, a, in a vote that popped up uh, fairly expectedly, fairly unexpectedly, one could call uh, Senator Pat Toomey and Senator Joe Manchin. Uh, Republican out of Pennsylvania, Democrat out of West Virginia, respectfully uh, have uh, supposedly gotten a deal together to get uh, Senator Harry Reid's uh, Safe Communities, Safe Schools program and his bill, Senate Bill 679, through to the floor for a vote, or at least for debate. Uh, as of this afternoon, word coming out of Capitol Hill, out of the Senate, is... There's not enough votes to pass it. That this bill will go down. Uh, first, let's talk about the gun control issue to begin with. And and luckily we we've got uh, uh, Professor coiter staying with us for another segment, which is fantastic. And we thank you, Richard. Can't thank you enough on that. Um, but look at the politics. Of this uh, Congressman, now uh, we had we had thought that. Peace, harmony, compromise, and civility was going to reign supreme on Harry Reid's gun bill. It looked like that we had 16 Republican senators, including new Senator Jeff Flake out of Arizona, out of uh, uh, Tucson. Uh, we had uh, we had uh, uh, Senator Susan Collins back it, uh, and, and even Lindsey Graham backed it. 16 Republicans voted against the party to get through Croatia, where does the deal fall through?
3: Where does it fall through? It falls through when they don't get enough votes. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. <laughs> what I don't understand, and I and I can't answer the right. question yet, but what I don't understand is how Republicans can take a, a vote <clears throat> against this. Pretty reasonable gun control aspect, and when the public is overwhelmingly for it, I mean they're 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 sticking out like a sore thumb, and uh, I think they may have an awful lot of explaining to do when they go home.
0: Bob Hines, did the Republicans botch this? Did the Republicans by saying allowing Pat Toomey to say? We've got a compromise in place on this. Is going to be a bill about background checks, universal checks. Uh, did the Republican did the Republicans botch the approach to this by not saying, "Hey, we may not really have a deal here." Did they jump the gun, for lack of a better term? Well,
1: it, it may be that Mister. Toomey was uh, had not uh, done enough checking to see where the other Republicans were, but whether he was wrong or right I mean the fact of the matter is that the legislation that is being proposed is basically saying we're going to have gun checks on commercial sales of guns including those at the gun gun shows and over the internet And that's it right I mean it's not like we're going to do anything else not going to be background checks and chasing people and all taking guns away and then I think the Republicans in the Senate uh, are not are not taking the smartest path they might take,
0: but when we look at universal checks, uh, uh, Professor Koiter, when when we look at that, Richard, universal checks—almost n- nine in ten Americans believe universal checks are a good thing. There are already check systems in place, obviously in the National Instant Check System put out by the DOJ, run by the FBI, out in West Virginia. When when we see that system, we're basically just adding on two aspects. The, uh, we're, we're talking about the gun show loophole, wiping that out, the internet loophole, wiping that out, and having states and locals input into the check system. Does law enforcement look at that as a good tool, as a good way to keep guns out of the hands of those not necessarily legal to have guns?
5: Well, I think the situation here with with guns that, uh, for the sake of calling them, bad guys have have a lot of times they're stolen. They they would never went to the store. Well, let me go to the store and pick a, buy a gun, and I'll go rob a bank. I think I don't think that's the question here. I think the question here is that we need stronger controls for those convicted with guns during the
0: commission of a crime. Does does. Does, does the national instant check pose any sort of, in your academic view, pose any sort of revocation of the
1: Second Amendment? Uh,
5: I'm, I am, if we're complete Second Amendment rights for our citizens, it's our constitutional right. However, uh, in the state of New Jersey, when one applies for a gun license, they are required to go through a background check which is done. Uh, firearms uh, are hard to carry to get the permit to carry. Very, very minute uh, amount of people in the state are allowed to carry. The check in other states go to New York. Very, very hard, too. Yet when you go out west, they're not as hard to get the gun permits. Right. But there's a difference in the settings that they are. The rural settings, there are people who have, have shotguns in the house because they're afraid of bears coming in their home. There's a different reason to, to have it. Uh, the Second Amendment. It does allow for background checks to get a permit. You have to go through it, through a, a series of steps to get right. that permit. I think the series of steps is fine. Right with the the, the American people.
0: Moore, does does yeah. this failure in the Senate put more Reasonable. pressure on the states? as far as now every the gun control advocates are going to say the state's going to have to cowboy up for lack of a better term I, again? Here's my
2: problem with the question. What's that? We characterize it as a failure. We don't know yet. We just went on to the bill. And last week, there was a lot of hand-wringing around this table about the fact that 13 senators had said, 16, 17, whatever the number was, yeah. we're going to filibuster this thing. And... <laughs> I don't like to say I told you so but I said that filibuster is not a filibuster you can't filibuster a bill with 13 names now that was that was an objection to actually going on to the bill and starting to debate, debate starting the debate 16 republicans said we'll start debate some of them have said some of the that 16 have said I felt it was right that we should start the debate because the majority leader is bringing up the bill in a way he hasn't done in a long time, which is sort of opens open season on other on other amendments. And what what Reid has increasingly done in recent years, we've talked about it sort of ad nauseum around here, is call up bills, but try to do it in a way where there won't be any amendments, which is just contrary to the traditions and history of the Senate. Republicans have complained about it. A bunch of the Republicans said, we need to allow for these amendments, and they did, and they got the votes. Now we're on the bill, and we've got this interesting proposal from Mankin and, and Toomey, um, and we don't know the outcome yet. There's some people who are interested in finding a solution, a resolution on background checks, they don't like everything about what Manchin and Toomey have done. Nothing is written in stone here. We'll have a a vote on that in a few days. They're trying to come up with the necessary 60 votes to pass some language. If that language succeeds, and it may, then we'll move forward, and down the road we'll worry about the House. And there's a bunch of other amendments that will come up, that create their own problems. We don't have to talk about them yet. But then, but then, if it fails, if Mansion Toomey fails, that doesn't mean we're done, or that everything is gone. Then there will easily be more effort to try to come up with something that
0: works. Well, one of the things I want to clarify is, you know, we've been talking about the manchin Toomey bill. It is actually Harry Reid's uh, sponsored bill that has been dealt with in a deal brought forth by Senator Patoumi and Senator
1: uh, Manchin.
0: Uh, but Congressman Al, yes, sir. we, we the, the politics behind this, this is a very sensitive issue. Last week we saw several members of uh, victims, families on the Hill in the Senate pushing for uh, sensible gun control. Uh, the Urban Mayor's Initiative has been pushing for sensible gun control. Uh, you have Mark Kelly and Gabby Gifford's organization, again, putting a lot of effort into sensible gun control. It seems, though, that they've hit a brick wall with Republicans in the NRA and the, and the Senate. The Republicans in the
3: NRA and the Senate seem to, at this point, may, may have been able to so Let me talk a little bit about the NRA. Very often you will read stories about how it's all the money they spend, all of the, uh, the lobbying they do and what have you, but that certainly goes on and it certainly has an effect. But until you have sat across the table from a red-faced member of the NRA back home, who, first of all, has believes that the end result of this will be confiscation of his gun. You don't know who is the scariest person around they and I suspect that those members who will not be able to bring themselves to vote for this many will will not be able to vote for it because they are terrified of the n r a members in their state or their district and what they will do so uh, it, it's, it's not being bought off by the gun manufacturers and, uh, and the wonderful arguments of Lapierre. Uh, I, I think those are minor to the fact that the NRA has built uh, terror, if you will. They have frightened, that's a better word, they have frightened their members so much uh, on the idea that their guns are going to be taken away that these people don't listen anymore. They just grab you by the throat and shake you until uh until you tell them you're you're gonna vote their way.
0: Of course.
5: Well I, I look at it uh as a civilian, as a citizen. Is it a state's right issue or is it a federal issue? If we're the United States of America, I think some of the issues that you're talking about has to deal with some mindset that it should be left to the states, because the state of North Dakota might be different than the state of New Jersey, and to have a federal regulation covering them both might be, and not in the best interest interest of people from North Dakota. Well, Congress for now. But,
4: but,
3: but I, I would I would suggest that that is probably true about some things you propose, and not. I mean, a background check seems to me to be universal without. Without affecting different states. Other things, the shotgun to get the kills a bear uh, in Wyoming uh, certainly is different from New Jersey. So. But, but,
0: but, but uh, I, I go back to the ten quotas for a second because when you look at organizations like the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the, the Police of Benevolence Association, Fraternal Order of Police, National Association of Sheriffs, all are in favor of universal checks. How is it that the top law enforcement officials? in this country can't get their argument to overcome that of the
3: NRA? I just answered that.
5: <laughs> I think you did, Congressman. Yes. Yeah,
3: I think because, you just did. Because yes. some big guy, usually with bandoliers, you know, will come in <laughs> with come his gun in. to the meeting, and he will walk to the front of the, office, the, the room, and he will stand there and tell you, the terrible things that are going to happen to you if you if you uh, support the legislation. Alan
2: Moore, um, as we've as we've discussed before, we we have these polls that are clearly overwhelmingly in sor- support of background checks, but we haven't defined the background checks, and that's where it's the the devil is in the details. And I happen to believe that. That if Toomey Manchin fails, and it appears right now that it's coming up short, watch Tom Coburn. Tom Coburn is is a is a is a red ribbed conservative from Oklahoma. He earlier was working on a compromise with Manchin. They came up short. Manchin found Toomey. They moved off in another direction. Coburn has said. Some nice things about Mansion Toomey, but he says right now he would not support it. He has got a different proposal that's a shade off of what Toomey Mansion is, and it takes states like North Dakota, where it's not very easy to find a registered gun dealer to carry out your background check for you, and is proposing. And I, don't, I just read about this earlier today, that in rural areas, and this could be of great interest in a place like Alaska, too, as well as in Montana, is if, if you meet certain conditions on where you live and you're doing a private transaction, let's say, over the Internet, that there would be a third way to do the verification, to do the background check, something that could be done via the Internet through a third party that you wouldn't have to find a registered gun dealer to get in the middle of it. Now, I won't be at all surprised. I'll be surprised if we don't get something at the end of the day, and I think I'm separate from others. But it wouldn't surprise me if it's Coburn coming back in, if mansion toomey fails, modifies it. And there may be some others who say, I could vote for this if, and we, we have a Manchin-Toomey modified version that actually succeeds. It is very hard to ignore the 87 to 90% of the people who say, we want something here, to not give them something. The details, we all acknowledge that in all of these proposals, they would not have stopped Newtown. They would not have stopped Aurora. The gun ownership in those cases was legal, and and there were background checks involved. But, but symbolism is important in America, and throwing up additional hurdles to make it a little bit harder for crazy people um, uh, to to get guns. How can that be bad if you don't just completely make it impossible and, and horribly difficult for some of Al's gun owners?
1: Bob hines first, if in fact what Alan says and he knows the Senate better than I do by a long shot, if that could happen, that would certainly be a plus. I mean, the, the, the more that we have ways to do. T- for regular, normal, everyday people who want to have a gun, to be able to find ways to get checks done if it's in a difficult situation, as we talk about North Dakota, if that if that would solve the problem, to move something like a mansion, you know, the mansion, uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, and add a Colburn to it, routine, that would be excellent. That'd be something we don't have now, and anything we can do here, it's not, you know. You know, criminals aren't going to register guns anyway, and probably a lot of crazy people won't either. But we're going to have fewer guns running loose, not knowing where they are and who's got them, and that's got to be a plus. Congressman Al?
3: And I wanted to to go back to to, to the power of the NRA. I voted uh, the compromise version that John Dingell always came up with on every bill. I didn't want to take on my NRA members, but when it came to the handgun bill, I had four of my police chiefs call and make a very sensible, calm argument that said, these are the guns that kill my people. These are the ones that kill my officers. And I sat on the floor long after the time the vote was supposed to be over, it wasn't over. And tried to think of a of, of any kind of even a phony argument for voting against the handgun bill, and I couldn't think of one, so I voted for it, and the n r a came down on me I like got ton of bricks you know i voted you didn't for get bill. that
0: a rating did you
3: <laughs> i i got i got angry less, but, but the fact is that maybe what the police chiefs and the other organizations you mentioned, maybe they need more face-to-face with the members because the members are getting face-to-face with the the NRA supporters.
0: I mean, Congressman Al Al, uh, brings up a really good point, though, here, uh, Professor Quaters, when he says, look, I mean, you've got, you know, for every one police chief, for every one elected sheriff, you've got possibly 10,000 NRA members that are in there writing letters, calling up their offices. You know, that's a hard piece to overcome. Can an organization like the FOP, IACP, be successful in getting in front of them? Can I I just add
3: this before he answers? The fact is, I don't remember getting calls from the police chiefs on any other bill. They were absent. Now, when they did join, you know, then it had some effect. I'm sorry to... No, go
5: ahead, please.
4: Richard.
5: I think that, uh, and I'm only speaking for myself, but I think police chiefs are in a a situation where they don't want to be that political. I think that Commissioner Bratton, Commissioner uh, in New York City, we look at, they'll be vocal on it, but I think police chiefs in general just want, not political, we want to do our jobs. And we're not testifying. How many police chiefs do come down here and testify? Not many at all. And that is the shame of it. Uh, I go with the handguns. Those are the ones that kill police officers, harm police officers. Anything that's reasonable, that's the key word here. It's got to be reasonable. Not infringing on your rights or my rights. If it's reasonable, I don't look at things as... Infringement, if it's reasonable, right. So the, the the bill has
3: to be
1: reasonable. Bob Hines, one thought: the NRA is not reasonable.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, you, you, come, yeah. come reason with some of my NRA. Yeah. But. The NRA, no, the
1: NRA, wait, NRA is not a reasonable organization when it comes to guns. I, I would, I would, you know, you
0: know, before we start vilifying the NRA here.
1: I mean, I have
0: many, many friends that are lifetime members of the NRA that support what the NRA does, that supports the messaging that they put out, the, in, you know, the, the protection of the Second Amendment, uh, and gun education, gun safety. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they're not reasonable. It just, see, it just seems of late that they seem to be a little bit more, I guess the word would be, active in this debate uh, and we've seen and because of Newtown because of Aurora because of Virginia Tech it just seems to have become more
3: visible than it would have been i, I never so said they, this to you before but oh give me a break <laughs> <laughs> let me just say this.
1: So, 10 or 12 years ago I don't, I don't follow this issue very often because I've, I've never owned a gun and I'm not interested in owning a gun but it used to be that the NRA supported background checks. They did as late as two thousand eight. Yeah. Now they don't anymore. Now that's unreasonable. That's unreasonable. It is.
0: Yeah. I, I I would agree with that. I mean and, and for my yeah. and, and for my own identification is, you know, I I don't I, you know, I'm not against the NRA. I'm not against the Second Amendment. I personally haven't owned a gun since I was in law enforcement. I gave that up the second I turned in everything I that's just my personal choice but I I don't want it to infringe but at the same time I can't say that you know we've had a national instant check system that's been effective it's worked what's
1: wrong with putting a little bit more teeth behind it I don't see that unreasonable I don't think it is either I mean I've never you know not being an an urban kid and uh, had and not ever had friends or acquaintances shot and killed or anything else, I had never really thought a lot much about guns, period. But the fact of the matter is, to me, it, okay. sounds, it, it seems so unreasonable to me uh, that we can't have a good, rational, reasonable, but strong registration system, not a registration, but, but a filing system so people know where guns are, know what's going on. It shouldn't be a problem. You ought to be able to get a gun if you want to hunt and shoot. You ought to be able to get a gun if you want security, but you ought to have to be registered. Alan Moore.
2: See, see, what Bob is 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 doing here is he's he's feeding the, the sort of paranoid views of a lot of the gun owners, where where he's suggesting registration, which is not even no, on no, the no, table. No, no, not.
1: But you just were. Yeah, I, I, well, I was just. just, just you just
2: okay. were. I, yeah, I i i would
0: tend to agree with that more okay, right. uh, uh, but,
2: but but it, but all it, i'm saying is it sort of retracts it that, it right. feeds the narrative and it and i i i think we can stumble into it that that the whole idea here is background checks leading to registration, yeah, registration leading is what to,
1: i meant to say to I'm, to come, see, again, background need, see, that's see, my point this is not so, a area where i know what i'm talking about but but, but what <laughs> i what one. i
2: was going to remind us not only are there you know, is the devil in the details of what we mean by a background check. But as Al so, so, Al pointed out to us that this, this issue is not equal for all Americans. Half of Americans don't have a gun in the house. Fine. I can't imagine if you didn't have a gun in the house, why you wouldn't say we need some kind of background check. And then of all the people who have a gun, some of us do around this table, it's like, I'm good with, with a, with a, with a, an expanded background check, And I can't get my head around what Al has has sat across the table from and been stared down by and probably threatened by with looks, if not words, um, or political activity, political giving, um, and so on. I mean, the passion around those who are willing to fight against this and and how the the power of that is best (laughs) indicated by all these politicians who, in the face of Polls that show a very wide support for an expanded system doesn't begin to measure the importance of the passion of this small minority for whom this is a single issue. And not just a single issue. These aren't just single issue voters. They're single issue with a passion, with anger, who will put their money, their
1: effort, their time. Bob Hines! No, I want I want just to say that I I appreciate that Alan. I made a mistake in the way I said it. I'm right. not talking about registration, but just the checks. Okay. That's what I. Think. Okay, uh, Congressman Allen. But in, in addition to what
3: Alan just said, you're also dealing with people who are living in a fantasy world. And I'm going to tell a story for the third time on this program. And if uh, you guys will forgive me, I think we've got enough new listeners. That it's what. The guy in the bar who was sitting there, pretty pretty drunk, saying, "Well, I'll tell you, I'm gonna, I, when the Ruskies come, I'm taking my guns up into the protect America." And I said, "I didn't know you could bring down an ICBM with a 30 <laughs> odd They're they're living they're living in this world where they're the Minute Men and they're going to defend America and and all of that crap. You know, and 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 Lapierre uh, is a genius at getting some people to believe idiocy. That's just your opinion,
0: actually. <laughs>
3: that is my opinion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Bob Hines, when you look at when you look at the members, the Republicans that voted on the poetry, uh vote, they're already being targeted yes. as primary. You know, when I say yeah. candidates for primary, we're using yes. primary as a verb. There are already people gearing up to go against yeah. even solidified people like Tom Coburn, yeah. where just six months ago they mentioned Tom Coburn in the same sentence that they
1: mentioned God. Yeah, well, and think about it. It isn't just the NRA. You know, Club for Growth is talking about it. Good point. Yeah, I mean these these other these very these people. other very conservative groups are are basically this they're saying this gives them an opportunity in effect because of their view on guns. People who would like to get them on other issues can use that as the issue to get them on.
0: But it's going to be an interesting debate, and obviously we're going to keep an eye on this um, uh, in the in the coming weeks. Uh, by the way, next week, we're going to bring up the other hot topic issue. Uh, next week, we're going to bring up immigration, which is going to take up a good chunk of the show next week. Uh, we're going to have a special guest from the Cato Institute talking about immigration law and the new immigration bills, as Professor Al gives his glowing support. Um, when we come back, we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to kind of expand Tell Me a Story this week. We're just going to just open it up. Uh, we, we've gone long in a couple of segments. We dealt with the, um, the technical difficulty. Turns out the difficulty was, in fact, me. And I'll tell you about that when we get back. This is, uh, this is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, for those who listen to Backroom Politics and know about Shelly's Backroom, they think of it as some sort of cigar bar where politicians go to smoke their cigars and drink their martinis. Actually, what you don't know about Shelly's Backroom, Shelly's Backroom has one of the greatest menus in the city. I kid you not. You've got the campfire wings. Famous campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, seasoned marinated jumbo chicken rings served with their own special honey mustard sauce. Folks, if you like chicken wings, you've never had the Campfire Wings. Best wings in the city, bar none. I guarantee If you don't like it Al, you can call us up and tell us that you don't like it. Uh, You have daily specials. Come down on a day when they have the Justin Chicken Sandwich. The sandwich named after me, breaded chicken breast, provolone cheese, Thick cut bacon on a Kaiser roll served with a honey mustard sauce. Folks, it doesn't get more artery clogging than that, but it is worth it. Come down to Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the premier sponsor
3: of backroom politics.
0: at Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, uh, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, we, uh, in our final segment, we kind of went long on a couple of segments dealing with a couple of technical issues. By the way, the technical issue was, in fact, that I was leaning against a metal rail here in Shelley's Back Room that apparently is energized and it was messing up my touchpad Like you've
3: computer. never been in a you, bar, on a rail. I became
4: energetic. That's never happened. That's never happened. We
0: knew you had an electric personality. Yeah. The only way I can moderate you, bunch of crew. Hey, um, we're going to kind of expand, tell me a story, and spring up uh, kind of an open table discussion now on anything going on around the Beltway, inside the Beltway, outside the Beltway uh, that comes to mind. Sometimes we scoop the media, sometimes... They follow us, because we know they're listening. But we're going to start off Al, Tell me a story. What well, do you
3: got in your mind? Well, I, I just, I do not want to restart the discussion on guns, but I do think we need to point out we concentrated exclusively on the Senate. Whatever happens in the Senate then goes to the House, and that's a totally different story altogether, which we will handle, I'm right. sure. We
0: will handle case. that. Uh, absolutely. That's
3: your story?
5: He's Sorry. just kicking it off. Oh, you know? oh okay. Come back. Oh. we I, got a lot I, of time. I may
0: come in. i, he I got, got a lot of, of joke. Joke. You're right. You're <laughs> no. Okay, that's okay. Bob, what do you got? Tell
1: me a story. Uh, following up on what Al says, he's exactly right with respect to the gun bill. But that's not the least of it. I mean, whatever happens in the gun bill, it isn't nearly as important, significantly, for the country as the immigration bill. And it looks as though, uh, while the Senate may be able to uh, devise a compromise, it looks that there's a lot of effort going on there. I suspect that the House is going to be substantially more difficult. Uh, there are a number of things I know, I know, I know that. Mr. Boehner and his team are already trying to figure out how they're going to um, move the bill forward. There are ways, there are a variety of ways. He can take it from the calendar and put it on the floor. He can send it to several different committees for their uh, perusal. Uh, He has a variety of things he can do. The decisions has not been made about what he's going to do far as I can tell but it's a real problem to try to figure out how to best position whatever comes over from the Senate and quite frankly while I don't diminish the value of having some some more uh, regulate some more oversight with respect to the gun checks the immigration bill long long term is a substantially more important and significant bill for the the people who were involved for the Republican Party, and uh, and I don't know what's going to happen when it gets to the House, but it's going to be a very difficult move. Can we answer a question
0: for for the four of us? It it, strikes me that we're in almost a bizarro world, that the one institution in Congress that we said was the most dysfunctional thing ever created, (laughs) that being the Senate, seems to be the one trying to get the deals made Whereas it seems that the House has gone completely dysfunctional. But it's easier. Might, Am you know, I wrong
1: about that? I think it's easier well, for the Senate, and Alan can tell you Alan, why.
0: talk to me about that. Because, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, we've said filibusters are stupid. The Senate's out of their mind a bunch of old they guys. Don't have, well, they don't well, have old well, districts. Well,
2: some of us have said that. Well, you're biased. Have, you're, yeah. Others around the I table I have said uh, <laughs> that, uh, that, that uh, there's a lot more here to it than meets the eye. And, and, and that, by that, you mean that, you said that? Well, absolutely, I said it, and that Harry Reid has brought all of this uh, down onto himself by trying to treat the Senate like the House and shut off all debate and limit amendments. And and so it doesn't surprise me at all that this, that the Senate is the one that's taking the lead here. In some ways, it's got greater flexibility. It's got a history and tradition of working across the aisle, Um, not least of all because it's gotta come up with 60 votes on things, and that's quite a challenge. And if you have to work across the aisle, then guess what? You do start to work across the aisle. So in the meantime, the House, and the way we've gerrymandered so many House districts, are such that, that that House members they're not worried about the other party. They're worried about their own party. They're worried about the primary Republicans are fearful of what will happen to them in a primary. If they can just hang on to the nomination the way we've drawn some of these districts they
3: will sail through to victory, and it's true for for many Democratic districts as well. Ironically, the Tea Party does not have the same degree of influence in the Senate as it has in the House. I would speculate.
0: Tell that to Ted Cruz.
3: Well, oh, I silence. I mean, well, 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 I mean, I'm stunned by the statement. I mean, <laughs> Ted Cruz is one one hundredth of the. And the number of Tea Party people in the House is much greater than that. Well,
0: I mean, arguably, I mean, we've seen the advent of the Tea Party coming up in the Senate. I mean, they they basically took away six Senate seats for Republicans, Republicans. that were lost.
3: I, I'd say they've got tremendous influence. I'm saying, <laughs> right. I'm saying. One of the he, Democrats' best friend in the Senate. Yeah, season. yeah. I, I wish them well. Uh <laughs> <laughs> do you do you really believe that they have as much influence on the Senate as the Tea Party does on John Boehner?
0: I'll tell you what. Let's go ask people like uh, Senator Bennett from Colorado. Let's go ask. Let's go ask uh,
3: the well, Republican yeah, Senator
0: oh, Awinman. He got run out by the witch.
3: You know, you're, you're, you're arguing with me, not debating me. Uh, I, I, I think that, 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 that there are more Tea Party people who aren't listening to anybody but themselves in the House than in the Senate.
1: Bob Hines. It is fair to say, as Justin points out, that there are five or six seats in the last two senatorial elections that should... Have been won by Republicans had the Tea Party Tea Party groups back in the in five different states had not destroyed the best candidate. No, mm-hmm. so, but it is also true that the in, within the structure of the body itself, the Tea Party has more influence in the House of Representatives because they're part of the majority party and they are basically giving the Speaker just more pain than he can possibly handle. Well that was
0: a note just given to me by our producer Alyssa Blanc who's here today. She was saying this exact same thing. Uh, you know, the fact that we have the majority in the house uh, it would lend itself, but yeah. Alan Moore, hey, yeah. we have well, a majority I mean, you know, also, we
2: also we party. also get back into this trap of calling something a Tea Party where there is no such thing in a way. There's the Tea Party is not one thing. It's not a monolith. It's a whole bunch of little desperate disparate groups.
1: Around the I country like desperate <laughs> desperate sometimes uh,
2: and and, uh, right. and and also desperate uh because they vary so much it's not it's it, it's hard to get our hands around what we do know is that that a bunch of groups that that aren't connected exactly and don't listen to each other call themselves the tea party were able to 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 take advantage of an opportunity that President Obama presented to them and that this the dreadful economy and in our response to it created for a bunch of Quite conservative newbies to get elected because there was a there was a huge mentality of throw the bums out that affected particularly Republicans and some Democrats as well. So it, do do these newbies who came in on the this this anti-Obama wave and 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 reduce the size of government because nothing else seems to work and we got to blame somebody talk about retribution.
1: It does it have influence
2: on in the House? Absolutely it does. And we but we don't it's not like you can go to the Tea Party leadership and, and turn this group. These are these are a bunch of, of renegade actors who who the leadership in the House has done yeoman work in trying to bring around and help teach know, and has made some I, progress I, I in that can't, regard. And I, can't, and I agree with
3: Alan and I think it makes my point.
0: But I but I can't I can't sit around and not say this
3: that the, the,
0: the hypocrisy Coming out of some of the tea party members of, you know, throw the bums out. Now they're one of the bums, and they don't want to give up that seat now. Well, mission, no. yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to give up the this seat. This is the reality of politics, <laughs> not just
2: in America, but most places. When you Once you got the power, you want to hang on to it. Now, But these
0: okay, are people, I'm hang these hang on, people hang I'm on, say, I want to do two terms. What, what happened? to
1: one it? term, and I'm just there to pull a point. The point. No, I tell but you, they, you wait. They're in their second term right now. I'll make you a bet not 10% of them leave voluntarily. Not 10%. They'll stay as long as they can. All right.
2: So what happened to Tell Me a Story?
1: Oh no, no, we're going to that. It's open. So well, we
0: started with it. No, no, and, and then, then Bob, and then zero. Bob went with it. I thought it was going to be an open war. Open debate. Burn it out of this Good stuff. Good grief! All right, Alan Moore, tell me a story. Oh, I don't have one. <laughs> always have a story. What are you talking about? Right, where, 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 uh, where, where is our Senator Menendez? Uh, yeah, Let's you know. Let's we we take a break every now and then. He's
2: the gift that keeps on giving. Don't worry. He'll be back. No, no, he doesn't give every week. Oh, Believe me. I see. He gives. He, will, he is not done giving yet. Actually, it's his um, getting that's the
3: problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted to, I wanted to just
2: uh, to, in the spirit of sort of the discussion here, talk about this uh, this abortion clinic, an abortion doctor named Kermit Gosnell up in Philadelphia, who has has operated this despicable clinic, filthy law-breaking uh, so-called clinic uh, in Philadelphia that performs uh, all manner of abortions including late-term abortions and he he was shut down uh, two years ago and he's on trial right now in Philadelphia in a kind of a sensational uh, sensational trial because of because of the grotesque facts that that are coming forward of what would be done, not only how dirty the conditions were, but, but how they dealt with late-term fetuses that that uh, were either potentially viable, in some cases apparently started to breathe, um, and and how they were how they were killed, and and that's been going on for a while, and over the course of the last 10 days or so. Uh, a number of commentators, starting out conservative commentators, were saying, where's the press coverage? What If this guy had had a gun and had shot the seven babies that he's, he's accused of killing uh, and one mom, um, uh, this would be front page news. And all of a sudden, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, these papers that were sort of uh, not five, a problem. are stepping up and apparently surprised the heck out of the judge uh, just yesterday when he looked out and in the press section, which was reserved and usually nearly empty, was suddenly full of national yeah. papers and news yeah. people. Um, more power to him. I I don't know what the significance of all of this is uh, down the road. It's fascinating to me that for the first time in many years, a majority of americans now something over 50% say they oppose either all abortions or only those abortions that meet pretty narrow criteria. criteria no 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 they 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 those are those are they would definitely oppose those they would only permit abortions in the in the rarest and narrowest of cases more than half now and then 46 47% are in the allow it Oh, generally, or yeah, go out don't don't have any restrictions. This is fascinating American history. Um, technology has changed. Babies that would never have been viable back in 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, now can live. Babies at a pound, a pound and a half. We all know know families uh, uh, for whom that's happened. The ultrasound uh, pictures the, are the now skin. amazing. That, and, and you, 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 have a you see a, a, a little baby there. And, 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 uh, and then I think there's also a, a whole cohort of American women who had abortions when they became available in the 70s and 80s. And who later wanted to have a child and couldn't. I, I think there's 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 yeah. a there's a lot of remorse in the in the society. I'm it's fascinating to me. I I don't know where it's all headed, but but uh, uh, I just wanted to, to to comment on how much the society seems to be changing back. And even in a case like let's uh, let's ignore that case. It's too it's too unpleasant and gross. Is now you know that some of the, the national press has been right. shamed into covering it, and are now covering it, Congressman. Now,
3: I just just in, in general issue of abortion, because I don't have anything to disagree with Alan about on that. Uh, but in my own family, uh, we had a baby that was premature and uh, had a had a serious heart problem. His heart was beating at 260. Beats, you know. and uh, thanks to a wonderful hospital that uh, handled it, she's now a very active nine-year-old and plays the piano and the flute and swims like a fish and so The other point. Oh dear. Well, I can I remember the other point. Can yeah, I just, you can
5: remember. Can of, course can you can. of course, you can. Of course, you can. Chance
3: at the other point. <laughs> I um, had, that was the minor one. Oh, here's the other one. I have a relative whom I will not name because of her privacy, but she is as pro-choice as you can get. She has always been pro-choice. She has demonstrated for pro-choice. She became pregnant at at, at, a, at a difficult time in her life. She 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 was engaged and all of that, but she was also uh, just entering college and uh, and you know it was going to be tough for her anyway. And so she's got this additional problem. Fortunately, she didn't follow my wife's. She didn't have horrible morning sickness. I don't think she ever thought of having an abortion. Uh, she had all kinds of reasons. She was doing something else at the time that required an enormous amount of conversation, and she made her choice. She was pro-choice. She made her choice. She would have the child. She chose life. She, she chose for herself to have the... the what, saying she chose life says she picked between the two sides. I don't think that's it at all. I think she's still pro-choice, but she made a choice which was for life, as you point out. Not everybody who is for, uh, you know, pro-abortion, I, pro-choice, I, pro-choice. Yes, I get lost in all of these right. euphemisms. You know, it, it, you're, you're for abortion or you're against abortion. but she, she, but she made she made a choice. And I think lots and lots and lots of women who are pro choice will have the babies when it gets there. They're they're arguing for the right to do it, not necessarily to kill every baby that is that it kind of surprises you sometimes when they come along. Right.
0: Um real quickly, my my tell me a story is uh based off of the essays uh, horrific events up in Boston. Uh, it is amazing the the use of social media these days in getting some information out. Um, it was amazing to see how the community came together just to support. Cell phones after the explosion were jammed. Uh, telephone lines completely locked up. So there was a call out by Governor Patrick Deval and Mayor Tony Menino to have everybody that has a secure Wi-Fi to disengage the passwords and let everybody get access to all Internet so they could just at least tell their families they were okay. That was a huge positive. And I think we'll see more of that, God forbid, if another incident like this happens again. The bad side of this which really troubles me, are the amount of people just so devastatingly hungry to see pictures of people who have been wounded, who have been hurt, who have been, in some instances, killed. The pictures I saw on Twitter were just absolutely horrible. And I just ask the question, what purpose does it serve? I'm not saying we're going to ever ban or restrict Twitter, but I just <laughs> got to think, how? What goes through your mind and says, oh, i got to put this up on my Twitter feed. This would be cool. There's it, just got to be some sort of reality check for some of these people. On top of the fact that not within hours did I start seeing Twitter feeds of people saying there was a mysterious man on a building. And, oh, by the way, this was the government's doing. The, the amount of people that use social media for the conspiracy theories are running rampant. You know, so social media is going to be a tool, both good and bad, as we get further along in this IT revolution that we're going through. I just, I, I, my message is to everybody who's listening, anybody that will hear me, guys, just think about it. If that was your wife, your kid, your parents, would you want that broadcast to 80 billion people? You, you gotta use some common sense on this, Alan Moore. Um,
2: I, I certainly agree with with what you're saying. I, since we at the earlier at, at the beginning of the show mentioned the the little eight year old boy uh, who died, uh, they have identified one of the other victims. A, yes, a, a, a girl a named Crystal, Crystal Campbell, who was I think 28 years old. And she was there. With a girlfriend, and the girlfriend's fiance was, was running the race. Um, there was it was a double tragedy in, a, in an odd way because not only was she killed on on, on site, but her girlfriend had a serious leg injury. Most of these the injuries were 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 lower lower body injuries because the the uh, the placement of the bomb and the parents of Crystal Campbell were told at the hospital oh your daughter's in surgery and she but she's making progress and the family went in you would like to see your daughter and they went in to see their daughter and realized it wasn't their daughter it was their daughter's friend and only later did they they learn that their daughter was one of one of those who uh, who died Um, there are still some people in critical condition I don't know anything about the third person but I wanted to at least Acknowledge this other girl
0: and the sad additional circumstances for uh,
2: for for those families. So, So
0: anybody listening to us uh, from out there or nationwide, um, the uh, the FBI investigative team and and the joint investigative team have announced a fifty thousand dollar reward for any information that leads to conviction, the arrest and conviction of the perpetrators of that uh, anonymous tips contact your local FBI officer, contact Boston PD. The other one is uh, the firefighters. The uh, Boston Fire Department has set up a uh, victim's fund 90. Uh, uh, up there in Boston for all those who were impacted by this. Uh, if you want to donate to the victim's funds, you can contact the Boston Firefighters Credit Union. If you go online, Google Boston Firefighters Credit Union, they have a tab where you can donate to the victims' funds. I highly recommend that we reach down, reach deep, and and take a look at that. But, uh, you know, again, the community coming together. Like I said, the last thing you want to be is a guy who pissed off a million Bostonians because I'll tell you what, they're going to find you. You can't hide. And, by the way, you better hope the cops get to you (laughs) instead of some of those guys in Southie get a hold of you because let me tell you something, that's going to be your worst nightmare kids our thoughts and prayers out to everybody affected in boston our thanks go out to the first responders and the volunteers and to all the runners good job america still stays strong folks this has been Backroom politics on behalf of congressman house with bob hines alan moore i'm your moderator justin russell we'll see you hopefully under better circumstances next tuesday four o'clock to six o'clock eastern time on blog talk radio thanks for joining us folks we'll see you next week bye bye And special thanks to <laughs> Professor Richard Kueders, Richard who, who was great enough to stay with us. And Alyssa Bonk, our producer. Thanks a lot, Alyssa. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you.